Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Hewitt and welcome to the Conservative Voice Show, your place for honest, controversial, and the hottest in political conversations. So what's up Patriots? So a lot happened over the weekend and yesterday of course. We have a COVID relief, relief and defense funding bill that has passed. COVID vaccine becomes a target of media fact checkers and the progressives in the house are very, very upset, right? So let's just dive into it. Yesterday, the COVID relief package cleared both the houses of Congress, but this did not come with some animosity and dissent from various members of the Senate of the House. Two of those senators were Arkansas Senator Rand Paul and Texas lawmaker Senator Ted Cruz who, as we all know, have been very boisterous about COVID-19 policies and the election and everything going on inside the internal dynamics of American politics currently? Well, Monday was no different. Senator Rand Paul opposed the COVID bill and gave a 12 or so minute speech where he explicitly describes the threat of widespread spending and the US government just printing more money. Because obviously, if we don't have the money, that means we're going to go in debt. And that debt is going to then be put on the shoulders of generations of Americans to come. So that is the fact, I guess, or the purpose that Rand Paul makes during the um, speech. That and the fact that he slams home that the pandemic is not the reason why the economy is doing terrible currently. It is not the pandemic that is killing the economy. It is the fact that you have tyrant governors across the nation shutting down their states. So here are some clips of Senator Rand Paul's speech opposing the spending, the spending bill that went to the floors for a vote. It's not just a deficits don't matter disaster. It is everything Republicans say they don't believe in. This bill is free money for everyone. Proponents don't care if you're fully employed or own your own house or own your own business. Free money for everyone, they cry. And yet, if free money were the answer, if money really grew on trees, why not give more free money? Why not give it out all the time? Why stop at $600 a person? Why not $1,000? Why not $2,000? Maybe these new free money Republicans should join the everybody gets a guaranteed income caucus. Why not 20,000 a year for everybody? Why not 30,000? If we can print up money with impunity, why not do it? The treasury can just keep printing the money. That is until someone points out that the emperor has no clothes and that the dollar no longer has value. There is no free money that can get us out of this situation. The only thing that can save us is to open the economy. If we give these tin pot dictators, these governors more money, they're less likely to open the economy. The answer is not printing up and distributing free money. It's opening the economy. We're not even debating the real answer to this. We're like, just print up the money and shovel it out the door. The deficit be damned. The threat of the destruction of our currency be damned. All right, so all of those are absolutely true, right? You have states like Michigan, where their governor, Gretchen um, Whitmore, 
Last time I checked this, shut down more than 32% of the businesses in Michigan. So you're approaching nearly 50% of the businesses across the entire state that have now been shut down for the, under the like guise of like pandemic measures, I guess. When you have like the confusion of that you can't have indoor dining, then you can have outdoor dining, but you can't have outdoor dining, but caterers can cater outdoors. You have shutdowns that happen at 10 o'clock. And like the Senator said, because the virus apparently magically comes out in full force after 10 o'clock, right? You have places like New York where you have businesses that are now openly defying Governor Cuomo's orders to try and stay open so they can feed their families. You have small businesses across the nation that are just crumbling under the oppressive pandemic. I don't even know what you want to call them anymore. Like the pandemic lockdowns coming from these Democrat governors that are causing and just strangling the life out of small businesses. And those are just two examples of things that are happening all across the country. And I've been saying this for weeks now. We need to reopen the economy and put Americans back to work. Paying people to stay home does not increase our economic growth. It does not increase or add to our GDP. It only adds to the debt that the nation already is severely in. So now you have a huge amount of outgoing money with no incoming money to offset that balance. I would once again agree with Senator Ron Paul when he's saying paying people indiscriminately perpetuates those governors to keeping people home. Because if you think about it this way, if, you have, if you're paying people to stay home and not work, then you have no reason to open your economy, right? You have no reason that they need to go to work and you can just continually put your thumb down on the American people and on the people that you serve. Because let's be honest, if you're given the option of staying home and receiving money from the government, or going to work and having to work for the money that you get, the majority of people are going to say that the government could just give them free money. And we're seeing that across the nation. Now, I'm not against, I don't think anybody is against giving relief to people who are in need of it. Those who have indeed lost their jobs for the, because of the pandemic or small businesses or businesses in general that are hurting because of the pandemic. But there are two groups of people that I believe do not need to be receiving $600 from the American government. One, working people, if you kept your job during the pandemic, then your financial situation has not changed. For me, for instance, I've kept my job through the pandemic, and therefore my financial situation has not been affected gravely by the pandemic, right? Now, obviously, there have been things that have gone up in price, down in price, certain businesses that are closed that I normally frequent, things like that, but my actual, my family's financial situation has not been impacted by the um, by COVID-19. So therefore any person that still maintained their job does not need to be receiving $600 of a stimulus when your financial situation has not been impacted. You, the government's just giving you $600 indiscriminately because they're giving everybody $600. The second group of people are people who were claiming welfare funding prior to the COVID-19, right? If you, in the end of 2019, before the outbreak of the coronavirus or receiving welfare, financial aid, or government-funded aid, right? Your situation has not changed. You can fight to say that you haven't been able to get a job because of it, but you're already receiving those benefits, right? So if your welfare benefits just continued through 2020, then your financial situation has not deteriorated, deteriorated at all, right? 
if you made insert set amount for whatever state you're from, from the government, why would the government, or why should the government pay you an additional $600 when you have not been adversely infected by, by the virus, right? You have received no direct impacts to your financial situation from COVID-19. So why is the government indiscriminately and without impunity just giving out $600 to 200 plus million Americans? Those two groups do not need to be receiving federal aid, does not need to be receiving a stimulus because what are they going to do? I can tell you from the people I work with, you know what $600 is going to do? They're going to go buy a gun with it. They're going to go buy ammunition with it. They're going to go buy whatever they need instead of putting it away. Because you can make the argument as well as that, okay, well, that $600 can go into savings for a time down the road where they may need it. Well, if that's the case, then it's not a stimulus, it's a loan or it's a paycheck. Because the word stimulus means that it's meant to stimulate something, which means it's meant to create spending where spending is not needed or where spending is previously not occurring, i.e. people that have lost their jobs. People who have lost their jobs due to COVID-19 are therefore not spending money. Give them $600, help them with their expenses, help them spend money, and that will rejog the economy, right? So those two like groups of people should not be receiving government funding. And I know a lot of people as well on social media and you, everyone who's watching this has probably seen it, right? Or listening to this. That people are very, very mad that businesses are receiving aid when, in, in, in lieu of receiving more individual aid, right? So millions of dollars going to either small businesses or businesses that they don't agree with or vice versa, whatever it may be, right? And they don't agree with this. However, if you're one of those people, I would like tell you to think about it this way, right? One, small businesses are hurting. And so giving them millions of dollars in loans and funding to therefore re-employ their employees and help them stay afloat during the pandemic is 100% absolutely needed if we're going to continue with economic growth and get out of the recession that we're currently in, right? I would further have you think about it this way. Add $600 to every American or majority of working Americans over 18. That equals somewhere in the ballpark of like $1.2 billion or so, somewhere in there, right? A lot, a lot of money for the federal government to just pay out. Like you figure $600 times 200 million people, where are we sitting? I didn't even say that that's up close to the trillions. I don't have a calculator and I'll be honest, I'm not great at math, right? That is a lot of money. And that's also a one-time payment to every single person. So let's say we increase that to $900 per person, $1,000 per person. What economic turmoil is that going to have on the American economy? Second, what if I propose to you that there's a way that the government could spend less, cause less of a burden on the American taxpayers, while allowing Americans to make more money? That seems like a a good option, probably the best option, right? Well, the way that we do that is we open the economy, put Americans back to work, where instead of making $600 a week, or I'm sorry, one-time payment of $600, you make $600 a week, $600 a month, $600 $600 bi-weekly, whatever it may be, right? Going back to work will, will give you a long-term sustainment of money instead of relying on daddy government to pay you one allowance of $600 a year. The only way that you do this is to go back to work 
And the only way that we can have this is if those very, very radical Democrats that have locked down their states and across the nation relieve those lockdowns, allow Americans to go back to work, allow employers to re-employ their employees and start allowing Americans to make money again. That is the only way that that occurs. The turmoil the American people are facing now will end when Americans go back to work. It will end. The, the solution to that problem is not the American government. The solution to that problem is not stimulus packages from the federal government. The answer to, that, to this problem comes with Americans doing what Americans do best, and that's work. It's long been a thing that the American people have strived upon, and we've seen time and time again through the Industrial Revolution, up to World War II, through Vietnam, right? Through all those grave areas of economic turmoil, the way that American people survive and outlast the economic like depressions is by creating more jobs and putting the American people back to work. That is how we do it. All right. So not only do we have the turmoil of Americans not being at work, but this bill that was passed has led to even more discontent inside the House and among Congress. By now, I'm sure everyone is tired of hearing me talk about like the boiling pressure cooker that is, that is the House, right? But by every passing day, it seems that there's something that occurs that just like turns that temperature up. Further, I would say that what I'm about to tell you goes to show how divided the House is between progressives, moderates, and I would even go to, as far as to stay as like established Democrats as they wrestle for power inside the House. So after Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, and the rest of the congressional leaders brokered the COVID relief bill and the defense spending bills, they had to take it to the floor for vote, right? Because they're not the end-all be-all on whether the legislation passed. They're just the ones that, I guess you could say, like fostered it. And here's where things, in my opinion, get a little dirty. So the bill was over 5,000 pages long. 5,000 pages. You're looking at like more than dictionary length pages. More than the Bible length pages, right? And the House and the Senate only had six hours to read the bill before they had to, had to vote. They had six hours to go over 5,000 pages worth of legislation. And then they had to say yes or no to it. We have seen people that are knowing on opposite ends of the political spectrum, right? That agree that this was sort of like a hostage situation in the House. Both Representative AOC and Senator Ted Cruz had something to say about this, along with countless, countless others. On Monday, AOC tweeted out, This is why Congress needs time to actually read this package before voting on it. Members of Congress have not read this bill. It's over 5,000 pages. Arrived at 2 p.m. today and we are told to expect a vote on it in two hours. This isn't governance, it's hostage taking. You saw similar like rhetoric and, and comments coming from Ted Cruz, where he tweeted earlier, absurd, a $2.5 trillion spending bill negotiated in secret, and then hours later demand an up or down vote on a bill that nobody has had time to read. And that right there is the huge issue with a close with an over 5,000 page legislation, special interest, and who knows what else is inside of that bill. 
And that is why on Friday on the show, I will go over everything that you need to know about both the relief bill and the defense funding bill. My wife and I will skim through it and go through all, but we'll probably end up being close to 10 pages of documents and bring to you the most collective brief that we can on both the bills. So if you don't already, make sure you like and subscribe so you can see it and know when it releases on Friday, along with every other episode where we cover the most controversial inside political topics and are trying to grow the base for all conservatives. So like, comment, subscribe, do it all so you can know. But like I said, Friday, I will go over everything there is inside the COVID relief bill and those 5,000 pages and the, the defense funding bill, which I'm being told has huge amounts of payments to foreign governments. So make sure that you stick around for that. All right, so how did the House get both these bills through? Well, the leadership was worried that a combined bill of both the defense funding bill and the House bill would falter, right? And that is why, so in a, well, I'll say, that is why they split the legislation. In an article written by Tyler Olson of Fox News, the House of Representatives and what could be a foreshadowing of things to come in the next Congress split the coronavirus relief and government funding legislation passed on Monday into two separate votes, allowing members to vote against the part that included military and homeland security funding without putting the package carrying the economic stimulus money in jeopardy. The successive votes Monday night both passed. The government funding package, which included defense spending and money for enforcing immigration laws, passed 327 to 85, with 41 Democrats and 43 Demo Republicans voting against it. The coronavirus relief bill passed 359 to 53, with 50 Republicans and two Democrats against it. I'm not sure how Fox did their math there. I'm going to assume that three Democrats opposed it, not two. But Re Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan were the only Democrats to vote against the package with coronavirus relief, which really surprises me that a that a squad member voted against relief. I think it'll be very, very interesting to see how much backlash Rashida Tlaib gets for that. So we'll watch for that. So they pretty much believed if the packages were initially combined into one, all the notes would add up to being, would vote against the bill, right? Which that ended up not being the case anyway, but that is what the leadership thought may happen. And I think that just goes to show the, the, the turmoil that we've been talking about. You have a, a house that is, has a very slim majority in favor of the Democrats. And inside that Democratic caucus, you have the internal turmoil of the progressives and the squad wanting Nancy Pelosi out. You have the established Democrats like Nancy Pelosi that are trying to fight for power and trying to keep a hold of the power and control of the caucus. And then you have the moderates that are upset that the progressives keep throwing out these outlandish like statements and ideas that are causing the rest of America to go to lean against the Democrats, right? And we saw that in the election where they almost lost seats and they did lose seats because of defund the police and things like that. So this huge conglomerative group of people that now have pulling and opposing agendas is now what you have making up the Democratic caucus, right? 
I think another dangerous thing that we can see from this as well is that that legislation split was came at a time when you have the left claiming unity, right? Like, I don't know how much you can front unity when you have like outright, like it seems like outright battles, right? Inside the, the Democratic Party. But besides that split, nothing got sent back for amendments or any changes to the bill, right? That is what's the most like outlandish thing of this whole scenario is that you have a bill that was over 5,000 pages that Congress was given less than six hours to go over before putting to a vote. And you're telling me that not a single portion of that bill needed to be remanded and changed? Congress can't even decide on public roadways without changing and, changing and amending the bills. And you're telling me that the, one of the largest spending bills in the American in American history made it through both houses of Congress without anything needing to be addressed or changed? If that doesn't sound dangerous or fishy, I don't really know what does. Like, it is absolutely insane and I cannot wait to go over and find out what is truly inside those bills. So make sure you stick around. All right, on to our next thing, which is the COVID vaccine. So it has been almost a week or so since the Pfizer vaccine released in America. And there have been whirlwinds of information. In a report written by Alexandra Levine from Politico, she talks about how misinformation is rampant. False claims about the dangers of coronavirus were running rampant on social media, even before the Americans began receiving their first shots last week. And now the months-long rollout of the entire population is giving bad information even more room to foster. It started with baseless rumors that the inoculations would kill or sterilize the recipients, alter people's DNA, or fail to keep up with virus mutations. Now it is expanding to more elaborate conspiracy theories. In an era already rife with mistrust of government and other institutions, social media companies are trying to keep up, but in many ways they're already behind, given the monumental task of combating misinformation about a massive, first-of-its-kind public health campaign. All right, so here's the deal. There are a few issues with this article, and there's some things that I think we all should agree on. So the first issue, and probably the main issue I have, is how the government and agencies and the healthcare um, community and all of those agencies are trying to silence the American people. Do I believe in the spread of misinformation? No, I do not. That's why I I made a podcast. I was super mad about misinformation and people lying on national television for special interests. And so I made a podcast where I can talk and try to tell people the truth of what's going on in American politics. But I believe that it is every American's right to say whatever the hell they want. It is up to whoever the reader is to believe it or not. For instance, I'm sure that there are those that listen to my show that may not agree with what I'm saying and after the show go and fact check my statements in either agreement or disagreement of what I'm saying. And that's okay, I'm fine that they do that, right? I tell you where, where the source comes from, and then I'm allowed my own opinion on whatever that article may or may not be. And if someone says something on Facebook, Instagram, or other platforms, do not provide a reputable source for the comment, right? That is the problem, is that they say, oh, I was fact-checked by some third-party fact-checker that has special interest being paid by the DNC, and God knows who else are being paid by, right? 
to say that something is false. I think that it would be ignorant of the person to just believe it, right? Like I scroll through my Facebook and I don't agree with everything that's being said to me. But I don't have any this like any quarrels with some guy saying that freaking Michael Jordan is the president of the United States. I don't care. Or the fact that they say that the inoculations may cause sterilization. Could it? I don't know. But that responsibility is on me to figure that out for myself and my family. It is not for the government to censor anybody who, and social media to censor anybody who disagrees with what the establishment says. Right? That's for me to decide. But to say that platforms and the government should silence those people who are speaking is not the correct answer. We should not agree with that. That starts us down a very dangerous road that will end in the silencing of speech used by a regime under the terms that it is false in order to perpetuate a power, right? If I can say, well, Joe and Harry said this and it's wrong, and it's even though it could be true, but I say it's wrong, and they're saying that I shouldn't be in office because of this, this, and this, well, that's wrong, silence them. That is a very dangerous road that we go against or to go down, to say that people or a government or a social media platform or whoever, right, says that another American should be silenced or censored because what they're saying is, and I'll put it in like quotes, false. I think it would fall into a similar, like same law, right, that EMS and paramedics are, that under even, I'm sorry, I can, I completely, like, like, completely skip them. Let me go back. I would say that getting the vaccine, like, should be a choice. It should be your choice. And I do not agree with the forcing of the government or healthcare to force someone to take a vaccine. There are very few circumstances that you can force them, someone to do anything against their will. But requiring a grown adult to get a vaccine is not one of them, right? I think it would fall under the same laws as EMS and paramedics that they can advise you that you need medical treatment and they can advise you that you need to go to the hospital. But unless you are incompetent and unable to like make sound decisions for yourself, they can't force you to go get treatment, right? Now, obviously if a vaccine is required to attend public schools then the children will need to get it just as they do with polio and measles, mumps, rubellas, all those vaccines. But to force a grown adult to get a vaccine is just absolutely absurd. And I think something that has been fueling this whole misinformation train and the outrage from the public is the multiple videos that are coming out that show that people are not actually receiving the vaccine, right? There are videos of prominent doctors not getting the vaccine. The one that I'm talking about, I'm sure everybody has seen, if not, I'll link it in the show notes, right? is that you can see a doctor at a hospital, like on a stage, getting a vaccine, at which point the doctor or the person administering it puts the needle in, but the plunger is already all fully depressed. And instead of like pushing the plunger in because they can't, you see him pull it out a little bit, pull the needle out, and then just send the guy on their way, right? There are other videos where it looks like there is a retractable needle, right? Like they push, they put the needle in, it retracts, and then when they pull the, and they give whatever simulated vaccine it is, pull it out, and then there's no needle there. So either A, 
it's a retractable needle or B that you broke the needle off and the guy and now the guy's walking around with it with a needle just jabbed in his arm. And all of the, like that, right, fuels the idea that the vaccine is not safe. Hell, if a doctor won't even take the vaccine, why should I? If the professionals do not believe that the vaccine is safe, why should I? What is in this vaccine that is causing these doctors not to trust it? And as all this is going on, you can see the media's frantic attempt to try to like prop up the validity of the vaccine. If you go to CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, or any of the left-leaning media news outlets, their headlines are all COVID vaccine related, even in the aftermath of the $900 billion relief bill. Like that's not headlines anywhere really. Or the fact that like it was rushed through the Congress or the fact that the, it was split to try to get a vote in the House and the turmoil in the House. None of that is headlining. The only thing that's headlining is misinformation about the corona vaccine or COVID vaccine needs to continue, right? All of that, that is the only thing that is truly headlining. To put it in easier terms, I think the country has lost so much trust and faith in the government over this last year with the, well, I would say in the government, which is understandable when you have a government that says, okay, put on this mask for 15 days, slow the curve, and we'll get back to normal. Americans did that. Oh, well, now we're gonna lock you down, but now we're gonna release it, but now we're gonna lock you down, but you can do this, but you can't do this. And all that contradicts itself that the American people have lost trust in the government and they do not know what to believe anymore. They do not know if the vaccine is safe as there's no long-term test. They do not know if it was rushed under a Trump administration and is unsafe. They do not know if it is a mechanism being used by the left to try to control the population, right? And the majority of Americans are willing to chance the dying of a vaccine. I'm sorry, the chance of dying from a vaccine greatly outweighs the, un, like the dangers of COVID. Like the dangers of COVID is known. The dangers of this vaccine is not known. Like when you look at it and see, say, okay, I'm a 30 year old and I have a survivability rate of somewhere in the ballpark of like 99.98% if I am to contract the virus, do I really need to chance the vaccine that could lead to unknown consequences that could be worse than the virus itself? And that is the internal struggle that every single American is currently tussling with is, is this vaccine healthy? Do I need it? And will it actually help me? Now, with all that being said, I will end on this topic with this. If you are a frontline medical worker, doctor, nurse, health, first responders, I believe that you, you need the vaccine, especially seeing at the rate that you come in contact with people that are sick daily. And then you come into contact with people of the vulnerable, like the vulnerable population. So it is understandable why you being immune or whatever the virus is needed. So then you don't transmit it to that vulnerable population because ultimately that's what we should be doing, putting Americans back to work and protecting the vulnerable population. Besides that, it should be optional and every American parent should be able to choose what is best for them and their family. Point blank, period, end of discussion. All right, guys, on to our last topics. The progressives are mad, like mad. And when I mean mad, I mean like they're pretty mad. Like, like they're mad. I don't even really know how, how else to say it. They're just real mad. Like imagine like a temper tantrum coming from like a toddler kind of mad because they didn't get their snacks they wanted. All right. President-elect Joe Biden may have just given us what is like the first thing 
the first time that he holds back the radicals, right? And as always, I will give congratulations, even though I may not like him or voted for him, where congratulations is due. At least for now, it is showing that he has, that Joe Biden has the fortitude to reject the radical left, for now. All right, so recently, we have seen the New York Times reports that Biden has chosen Dr. Miguel Cardona as the education secretary, a pick that is supposed to showcase how Biden will pick a diverse cabinet, and that's what the New York Times talks about. However, when you actually look at it, the majority of his high-level officials are established white old men that um, have a long-standing history inside the Obama administration. So, again, the, the left media and the mainstream media is doing what they've been doing since Biden announced his run, and that is propping him up as like a puppet and congratulating him on every single thing he does, even though it doesn't actually mean anything. Right? Like, everything, is some, everything he does is some testament to how great of a president he's going to be. Yes, tell me how appointing John Kelly as the, like, in the envoy to climate change is some great thing. I don't know, but we all know the media has been doing it for months now, right? Anyways, today the progressives and the Justice Democrats in the House are mad. And like I said, they are really, really mad. So what are they mad about? They are mad that Biden has named Bruce Reed as the deputy chief of staff. So in an article written by, it's in Fox News, written by Tyler Olson, sign now, no deficit hawks in the Biden administration. Read a petition promoted by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez aligned Justice Democrats in November. It was in opposition to Bruce Reed, a longtime aide of President-elect Biden, getting a spot in his administration. While progressives scored some victories in getting their allies picked for the major slots in the Biden administration, like Representative Deb Howland from Democrat for New Mexico as Interior Secretary, there has been a stewing dissatisfaction with the Biden's high-profile appointments. Reed being chosen for such a critical role is likely to increase that. Putting someone in the administration who will prioritize paying down the deficit ahead of all other concerns in charge is a recipe for cutting our earned benefits and turning the COVID recession into a depression. The Justice Democrats petition reads, rejecting Reid will be a major test for the soul of our Biden presidency. I'm sorry, for the Biden presidency. Okay. So first of all, let's just like back up to like what we talked about at the beginning. We need somebody prioritizing the deficit. You can't just willy-nilly spend money forever and ever and not worry about the consequences of spending that money. That money is not free. It does not grow on trees. It has to come from somewhere, and us taxpayers are going to be the one that pays that burden, that carries that burden. That is going to come from you, me, and every single other American taxpayer in the country, right? And so to say, oh, well, we need someone who doesn't prioritize the deficit. What you're saying, actually saying is, is that I need somebody that is going to radically like support social networks and welfare networks so that we can make the American people dependable on the government because we'll tax them so heavily that they, they cannot work and they will have to submit to socialism in order to survive. That is what you're saying. And this is something that we all knew was going to happen, right? Those of us conservatives have been calling it for a while that the progressives and the radicals who mobilized their base, 
behind Biden during the election, we're going to try to cash in on some high-level like cabinet positions inside the Biden administration. Well, as of right now, they have not gotten as many seats as they wanted. I think the true question that we have is, will Biden be able to withstand the radicals? And if not, how long will it be before he caves? Especially when his vice president has some very progressive and radical ideas herself, right? In her agenda, like wanting to completely take away guns from Americans, changing gun control laws, oppressing freedom of speech. Like all of these things are radical that are coming from the proposals we've seen from the Biden presidency and his like administration. So to see how long he can hold back that is indeed the question. But all right, guys, that is it for today. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you have any questions or anything that you would specifically like answered, let me know it down in the comments. And like I said, make sure that you like and subscribe and so you can be the first one to know, especially seeing that new um, episode that I'm going to give out Friday, given everything that we need to know about the coronavirus relief bill and the defense spending bill. That'll happen on Friday. And as always, guys, thank you for listening. God bless you. Keep your family safe. I hope that your holidays are preparing well and... I'll see you all tomorrow. God bless.